Blog Talk Radio. This is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and it's a terrific Monday for those who really like Mondays. I don't. So, <laughs> we're here together. If you don't like Mondays, then we are of the same cloth. Mondays. Yeah, we don't like Mondays. So, why don't we get started, because you know what? We need to extinguish all smoking material, and you need to put your tray in an upright position. Because today... We're talking to Donald Jocks again about home settings base. Tech dreams versus reality tech. Episode one, he had uh, really struck a nerve apparently because we wound up being the best uh, listened to show that we've had on KWOD Radio and we're kind of thankful for that. Thank you everyone for listening. And we'd like to be able to get started. And talk again about some things that are coming up. As I showed and showed down the numbers and said, I think obviously there's something that you need to be talking about on a regular basis. So we will make this a little more regular. That way you guys should get your space worthiness going on there. So what is he talking about today? Donald, are you there? <laughs> you put me on the spot. Yeah. What's up with that? I only put you on the spot. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, toes, you know? Gonna, you know, it's it's been an exciting weekend uh, with uh, SpaceX uh, delivering a, an edge-of-the-seat um, launch and delivery of uh, the Dragon to the ISS. It is their... Um, Third ship they've put up. Uh, this is the second in the series of 12 cargo missions for NASA. They're averaging about, um, based on the manifest I've seen, about two to maybe three of these uh, trips a year for cargo. So it's it's going to be um, an interesting uh, line. But they they really pulled it together. They uh, the the team at SpaceX did a great job uh, solving a couple of substantial problems. Uh first thing was they they had trouble with the uh the thruster groups. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, all all jokes aside here. Come on. Um these I are basically it, when that happens. Yeah, the um the Dragon ship has uh four clusters of thruster rockets mounted on it that are used to maneuver through orbital space and so forth. And apparently um Three three of those clusters didn't want to work. Yeah, and I and I imagine that uh, you know, and, and of course they they pretty much uh, worked through it fairly quickly. And and at one point they were not wanting to deploy the uh, solar panels. Um, they went ahead and, and deployed those, had those work out. And it, and ultimately, of course, they're up. They're now beginning to, or preparing to, if not already, uh, unload the Dragon capsule. So it's it's been a heady trip to this weekend. Real exciting, uh, edge of the seat type of deal. 
kudos. Well, I guess to, the, the, the real main point here is that they delivered. Yeah, that's 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 it. They didn't it, give too. up. They didn't go back home. You know, they had a, they had a couple of things hit them pretty hard during the course of the launch. Um, it caused a delay in the delivery uh, by one day, but even so, uh, Private Enterprise delivered, uh, showing that well that they can. You know, so it's it, it was pretty exciting. It was it was cool to see. And then of course uh, the earlier launch they had uh, last time where they had an engine fail. Uh, during the launch, and still also made it to the station. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, That's real pioneering, you know. It is um, the real American way, you know. Don't give up. True. Don't take, and, don't take prisoners. You know, I, I often wonder. You know, I look back at at the government and NASA and some of the, the prior programs, and I and I and I actually wonder what are the chances that NASA would have would have stuck at it. Under this timetable, this this twenty four thirty six hour period, where they would have would they have stuck with it when the second problem occurred, or would they have simply aborted the delivery and tried to bring the dragon back home? And while I can't say one way or the other, I, I think it it definitely is um, a pat on the back to the SpaceX guys for sticking with it, getting that ship delivered. And the dogged determination that it probably took to sit there and do whatever it took to get those lines cleared. Talk about stress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's millions of dollars of, of equipment there, you know? And, uh, you know, somebody says it down the block. I get the impression, though, from, from listening to Elon and his appearances and so forth, and some of the other people that talk about it, that I get a distinct impression this is a labor of love for SpaceX. Mm. You know, this is not just some government project. This is this is a labor of love that um, they want to see this through. They want to see it succeed. And I think there's good reason for that. There's a lot riding on this. Mm. You know, SpaceX, second to, to Soyuz is the only other craft that can bring stuff back from the ISS. Mm. I didn't realize that. But... You know the ATV, the 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 Japanese cargo module that goes up. All of these craft can take stuff up, but none of them can bring anything back. And so that's been real important for NASA as they move forward, being able to bring some of the experiments that schools and classrooms and and businesses have put up on the ISS, bringing those units back to be able to record the results of the experiments and things like that as well as other things that would normally be tossed into uh, a craft and sent to burn up in the atmosphere. So there's there's a lot of good things about SpaceX that are happening and so forth. But we had another big announcement this this past week. Before you get started, I'm going to cut them off here and just let you guys know that, you know, this does not have to be a one-way trip. You actually can talk both ways. I know it's hard to believe because you have to actually stop him once in a while and actually get him to listen to you, but... The call-in number for you guys is 714-242-5145. 714-242-5145. He would love to you to, to call and, and uh, you know, have comments or questions. And definitely, you know, interactive. This this is a live radio show, so, yes, that means you can actually call in and actually talk to us. Kind of a concept. So, without further ado, let's go further. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's it. Yeah, definitely. You know, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Call in. Speak up. Let me know where I'm wrong, right, 
especially when I'm right. Um, <laughs> I can use a pat on the back every once in a while, just like everybody else. Uh, I, I tend to have very outspoken views on the progress in space, uh, especially because, you know, I, I was one of them kids. I was, I think I was uh, 10 or 11. What was that? That was 69. So I was, I was 12, actually. No, I was 11 because it was in the spring when um, Apollo land, landed on the on the moon. Yeah, just a baby in the woods. Yeah, they should have left. They should have left you in the woods. Hey, I'm in Ohio. <laughs> um, but I remember growing up with Apollo. School is the news about Apollo and and the other things that came through, and then in the in the 70s when the last Apollo mission went up and came back, and it was a footnote. It had none of the uh, hoopla or the excitement about it at the time, and I was disappointed in that. I, I thought surely we would go further. And then the shuttle program, or the space station, Space Lab, I think, was the next one that went up, if I'm not mistaken. How old are you? <laughs> well, I'm 55. Okay, so it was mid you 10. 10? Yeah. No, I guess I was a lot. 24 years ago. <laughs> okay. It's a good thing I'm not a rocket scientist. I'd be messed up. <laughs> well, not everybody can be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah... A lot of stuff's been happening lately, and it's it's kind of exciting. SpaceX is up at the station again. They'll be coming back soon. Uh, they've been putting up some new stuff. Uh, something else that SpaceX, at least on their manifest, is scheduled to take up is something that we haven't heard from for a while, and that's Bigelow Aerospace. Uh, this past couple of months has uh, apparently been given the go-ahead to produce and deliver their beam Project. The it's a Bigelow. Ex, what was that? Uh, it's it's an inflatable module. That it's an activity module. Okay. And its purpose is to test um, inflatable habitats and everything, and have it attached to the space station. So they can go in and out of it. They can test it. They can they can check it for leaks, check it for radiation, do all sorts of stuff to test the functionality of an inflatable habitat attached to the space station. Well, I get that, but why do they call it BEAM? Bigelow something activity module. balloon or something. I'm sure that's probably what they do, but... BEAM just doesn't seem to fit it, so... Yeah, well, you know... Engineers, weird... Well, you know, you know how government is. They've got to have all their acronyms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, one of the big things to happen this week, particularly this past week, is uh, Inspiration Mars. Dennis Tito, one of the first, I think he was the first uh, space tourist, Mm -hmm. um, spent his own money to get himself up to the space station by Soyuz um, and has announced the establishment of the Inspiration Mars program, and their objective is to fly 
a couple around Mars and back. I see. That's a better name. Inspiration, you know, kind of yeah. like inspiration point. You're you're taking a couple to the inspiration point. <laughs> Do we have any doubt what they'll be doing on the dark side of the Mars? <laughs> taking inspiration point to the highest. Yeah, we know where your mind's at anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Inspiration Mars. That's just cool. You know, I, I love the idea. I, I really do. I love the idea. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> so, so the wife says, you never take me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and during the 16 months of that round trip, He's going to be listening to that the whole time. No, no, he'll say, say, well, I was only kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. You know, I I was looking at the website, reading up on it. It's it's an interesting premise. It's a lot of money that they're talking about spending. Uh, They're doing their homework. They're they're getting some some, uh, funding from NASA. They'll be getting a lot of, raising a lot of money through uh, other other venues in order to raise the funds to assemble the craft, get it up there. Uh, it well, looks like they'll be using. Here's my question. Okay. So they're going to get sponsors for this. Mm-hmm. So they're going to slap the stickers on the rocket, so that way we can all see, a, you know, all the stickers of the people, of the companies who are sponsoring them. Wouldn't that be fun? Kind of like this, you know. Well, the, the only catch is, is if it's in Great space. Car. If it's well, you know, Bigelow actually they put up their two uh, modules in '06 and '07, and in '07 they actually had cameras on the outside of the inflatable habitat. Now it was just a, it was a much smaller habitat, so it wasn't big enough for a person to actually live in, but it was a demonstration module prototype. But they flew several uh, programs. in an effort to raise awareness and raise money and funds and things like that. And one of the things that they did is they they put cameras on the outside and they had messages that they could put on the on the side of the the habitat, which was interesting. Now I could see that if advertisers wanted to, they could do that and you could have people go to the website for Inspiration Mars and see this thing on there and of course I wonder, you know, if you got a couple locked up alone for 16 months round trip, would you really want to take the risk of having that camera happen to actually peek in the window and have them in the middle of something, good or bad? Well, probably more like a bad. Well, you know, the habitat, you know, the inflatable habitats are very different than the tin cans we're used to seeing, such as the modules that go up with the ISS. Most of those modules are built, and the interesting thing is, you think of the modules of the space station, they're built kind of sort of from the outside in. You start with your shell, and then you decide what equipment you're going to fit on the inside wall, and the first layer of stuff on the inside wall is is your radiators, your piping, your electrical, all that stuff's got to go on those walls, and then inside of that, you've got to have the compartments and the equipment that you've got to have access to that you're going to service, that you're going to do your experiments and things like that. Oh, right. But then inside that... still not very much room. Oh, no, because what you end up with at, at your final thing is you've got about three feet of space in a tube, maybe four, maybe five, three to five feet of space to, to go back and forth through the module. 
Bigelow's modules, on the other hand, are done completely different. What they do is you have a um, central core that the whole thing collapses around for launch, and all your life support, your equipment, all that stuff is stored there in the center um, center rail area. Mm-hmm. And then the whole rest of the sphere is wide open. And depending on, on the size of the expanded space, mm-hmm. you can get some substantial room in there. Uh, the Bigelow BA330, I believe, is rated uh, for a minimum of, of six people, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, so, so two people would... If they're angry at each other, they can they can go in their own space and and other side of the capsule. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose there'd be room for that, depending on how it's configured. Um, in that case, they, in that case, they survive it. <laughs> might might survive it, yeah. Oh goodness, um, the BA three thirty I was talking about is is uh, actually. Is indeed intended to hold up to six people on a long-term basis. Now, presuming, uh, I think Bigelow is the only company I'm aware of that's got any kind of uh, inflatable habitat capable of making the trip by 2018. I don't know of anybody else who's built anything or even got a prototype for testing. Um, and so, but... I have to wonder about this couple that they're going to take, you know? They they have to be pretty solid uh, as far as their relationship goes. I mean, you know, you get a bunch of people who don't know each other, and so they're you know they're professionals. They got a job to do, and so they're up in this capsule together, and and which is all everything works out pretty well, even though they might get angry at each other. But it's still a professional job, so they they have to get along. And there's not going to be as much backbiting and, and, you know, anger involved because you don't know this person. <laughs> well, you know, I can I can remember in my own history making travel trips across country with um, a spouse. And, you know, that alone is challenging for, for a couple of weeks or a month. I know. And so you're talking about going to the Mars and back. And, and 16 months. With your husband. It's, it's 501 some odd days. Yeah. 500 days. That's yeah. that's that's 16 months. It's, it's a year and a half. Almost. I, I would have gotten divorced a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have had. But here's here's the thing. Go to Mars with my husband. Yeah, here's the thing that I'm 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 admirable about because they're talking using some of the newer tools that are coming available in the space community. Oh, okay. One of which is is the the, the habitat, the inflatable habitat. Right, right, right. Now, one of the beauties of the inflatable habitat is because of its very design. Mm-hmm. At least in what Bigelow has done, and I'm not sure what Inspiration Mars is going to be using for its its inflatable habitat. Uh, I'd like to believe they'll be using a Bigelow unit, but that'll be announced in time, I'm sure. The thing about the Bigelow units is is that their radiation shielding and their air envelope is actually more effective than is the shielding and the the structure of the ISS modules, mm-hmm. primarily because you're dealing with layers of flexible material that 
has an uh, it, it, it has a, a trait that to a certain extent it's self sealing if it's punctured punctured oh, it actually okay. self repairing to a certain degree I mean no, nothing's perfect but no, it does a much better job it's also designed yeah, to work in a cool. different way than the metal uh, based habitats that are at the ISS now. You puncture that metal, you've either got to put a patch on it or it's going to leak. Well, that's usually what happens when you get a hole. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, Something's going to leak. I, I, I have to admit that I'm, I'm real respectful of Inspiration Mars because they're talking about you've got your you've got your base ship, which is your, your propulsion, your life support, that type of stuff they're going to be using. And then they're going to be docking with it uh, this inflatable module, which will be the living quarters, during the course of their trip out to Mars, around it, and coming back. The the thing that I wonder, though, is, is that's an awful lot of expense to spend for two people to do a flyby to Mars. Yeah, it's the ultimate honeymoon. Now, the website suggests, because there's things that they don't say yet, it's still early. Mm-hmm. So there will be details coming out as time goes on. One of the questions that I have is, is uh, and granted, maybe in, in their projections, the realization being that they can expect to raise so much funds, mm-hmm. they can expect to garner so much equipment, and what can they do with that equipment and those funds? And so a Mars flyby is perhaps the best uh, scenario they can come up with. Um, personally, I think it's I think it's an admirable uh, goal. I think they have a good chance of succeeding. But I think it's hmm. not what we need. Well, I have to wonder what the real point is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to take a couple to, and do a flyby and uh, Mars. That's. I mean, while it sounds. There's. It sounds uh, in, in, in their defense, you know, human eyes going around Mars, getting a close look at things is pretty awesome other than watching a movie. You know? Right, but there's, there's but, two people doing it. And yeah, and, and they are they would be the first to go and, and fly around Mars, which is always a cool thing to be, the very first to get there. Did they happen to say how they, they were going to choose the couple? I don't see anything on the website yet, and I haven't seen anything in um, the, the news or anything. Um, that would be... This is curious. They're still in the early stages. So, but they're talking about the inflatable module will be deployed after launch, and and they'll move into it, I presume. Yeah, and they then, say couple. They specify man and woman. That was the news reports. Oh, really? So I don't. Okay. Um, so they said two, they're saying on the website they're saying a two-person crew, a man and a woman. Uh, uh, will fly within 100 miles around the red planet and return to Earth safely, mm-hmm. and so forth. So you know, it's this is a big deal. It is a big deal to embark upon this, and I'm sure Robert Zubrin of Mars Society is kicking his heels and and so forth and just having a ball with this. That somebody's finally going to Mars. Um, but you know, they're not the only. But trip. they're not really going to Mars. They are going around about. That's true. That's true. Um, but here's something else to think about. We've got Inspiration Mars. They're going to Mars, okay? And they're just going to do a flyby. You know, it's just to wave at us as you pass by. What we and, used to do with the moon is basically yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, pretty much. 
But here's here's the other thing that, that's also going to be happening is is that we've got Golden Spike. Now we talked about this last time, and I hadn't had a chance to find their website. I did did a concerted search the last time I was around and found out that their website at goldenspikecompany.com. I couldn't find it. I was looking for goldenspike.com or about org or whatever, and it never dawned on me to look at Golden Spike Company. And they and they've got um, their goal is a little bit more. In my mind, realistic. It's the path to a commercial lunar business. That's what their goal is. Mm. Now, Golden Spike is talking about sending two people to the moon and bringing them back. Okay, so what's the point of that? Well, and we've been there, done that. With <laughs> more than two. Well, we made a party. But the Golden Spike, the, the very front page of the website talks about the, the business objectives is intent on achieving affordable, reliable, and frequent human expeditions to the moon. But here's the rub. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about these trips to go and visit. And there's the rub. Yeah, that's... This is, this is, this is space tourism. And, and, and for Golden Spike, it's it's lunar tourism for for Inspiration Mars. It's Mars tourism. Um, I, I don't I don't buy it. As a kid of of 1969, watching us land on the moon is the first step to pushing forward yeah. an agenda to put humans on the moon and the planets. This is not going to do it. No, it, it, they, just if not they were going to taking do it. them and dropping them off and and helping them set up, you know. Yeah. Life there, then that'd be different. But I remember this, is, this has been there, done that thing. I remember last year, I think it was, or has it been two years? The scientists in, uh, and I want to say Europe, proposed reducing the cost of a mission to Mars by half by not bringing them home, turn it into a one way trip. Now, what the, the, <laughs> I, they received a large response of people willing to go and i think that one of the problems that mars inspiration is going to run into has to do with the fact that yeah there are going to be a few people who are going to be willing to go to mars and come back on a flyby Mm -hmm. because they know that the public relations value of that of making that trip, coming back, surviving to tell about it is huge. Right, but you All know, right? after the second couple, I mean, we're going to be bored of that already. Well, there's no mention of a second trip. Okay. Okay. Well, this is a one-trip trip deal. Well, that's just it. Why aren't they saving their money and actually well, doing something a little grander? Well, let's just, let's look at that for a minute. They're, they're talking. I, Both of them, really. I heard numbers bandied about. For the Mars trip in in the billions of dollars, I've heard the same thing for the the Golden Spike in the billions of dollars to get two people there and back. Now, I really I've got a problem with this because first off, you're sending people there, you're getting equipment there, you're doing it in a fairly short amount of time, you're doing it fairly efficiently. Why on earth would you want to come back? Exactly. Why not, Why not spend the other half of those funds instead of trying to bring them back 
and have to carry the extra fuel, the extra material, the extra yeah. life support, all of that stuff to bring them back and do something that I think would be far more worthy. Yeah. Make it the one-way trip. Make them pioneers. Yeah, aren't we past due for something like this? I mean, we are past due. We are long past due. It has. It was in 1969, 18, almost 1970, and that's 44, 44, 44 years, years ago, ago that we landed on the moon. Four for the decades, right people. Yeah. You know, time to move forward, not not stay in the same old rut. Right. Now, the thing is, this is this is the exception that I take to Robert Zubrin's push for Mars direct route. And to a certain degree, a lot of what NASA has been talking about for the last several years, in going in in bypassing the moon, been there, done that attitude. I, I disagree with that. I think that that's the mistake that we're making. If we're going to move forward in our push into space as a species, mm-hmm. as a society, then we need to push with a plan that puts people on the moon in an integral um stepping stone way Mm -hmm. that takes people from Earth to orbit. Now, we've achieved orbit. We've we've had the ISS has been under construction uh, for the last 20 years. That's exciting. It's something people can latch on to. And while the public, being as fickle as they are, doesn't always pay attention. The idea that we have people living there constantly is an important milestone. Yeah, it is. The second step is not to shoot for these lofty goals of getting out to Mars and coming back. Spend that money on building a settlement on the moon. It's the next logical step. Yeah. We well, can leverage there the... Are some who say, hey, we've already been to the moon, so we want to push out beyond that. What do you say to that? I say that's short-sighted, irresponsible, and juvenile. Juvenile, huh? Juvenile. Oh. Okay. And Absolutely. Why would you call it juvenile? Because I would call it juvenile because it, well, it's short-sighted well, because that. it doesn't, and, and juvenile because it's, oh, I, I did that. It's it's a tr- it's looking at the moon as if it were a toy. I played with that one. I'm done with it. I want to go to the next toy. <laughs> Now I get it. I mean, that's exactly why I see it as juvenile. Okay. Yeah, and and, and I get your point. Okay. Yeah. We need to hunker down and say, okay, if we're going to get to Mars to stay, we need to prove the technologies. We need to prove the methodologies. We need to prove the, the ability to survive in that kind of a hostile environment. We have outposts in Antarctica. Right. We have outposts way above the the Arctic Circle that struggle to maintain a livable space. It's expensive, and they've learned a lot there about living in these really harsh, sealed environments for long periods of time there. And I think that there's a lot to be said. I saw a couple horror movies about that. Yeah. Well, there was what was it? It the thing, the thing. Yeah. you know. I mean, oh, oh, I saw, I saw a thing. Geez, thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not people. Sorry. 
I had to laugh. There was a news item this week that talked about, I think it was Russians, found a buried meteorite under Arctic ice. It might have been uh, Antarctic. I can't remember where. But the news item was a blurb about finding a buried asteroid in Arctic ice. And I, my thought immediately went to the thing. Are they sure it's an asteroid? Are they sure it's not a fried spaceship with some alien monster oh stuck God. inside? You know, that, that's just a thing of fiction writers just totally love to see. Is it, and, and it wouldn't, it just, going, it? wouldn't it just be awesome? <laughs> Scary as all get out, but well, awesome. Yes, sure. If they did find a ship inside this burned up rock, whatever it is. I mean, I just, my mind is all a flutter with the I ideas. Know, I know. Hey, you know, even if it's a small meteorite, there still can be a nasty little booger in there. Oh, yeah. Andromeda Strain, for an example. <laughs> you know, oh, and I love the way Andromeda Strain ended where you find out that it's actually not going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> they go through all of that, very nearly nuked the base, only to find out that it's not deadly anymore. That it's mutated beyond its deadly, deadly space. Yeah, so, again, so anyway, for that, well, it, for the digression. Point to that, though. Yeah. You know, Don't shoot so. first. Yeah, no, we're fine. Okay. Well, but, not, we've got all sorts of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're making good progress now. But, you know, I, I saw, I did see that, and I thought that was kind of neat. It was, it was, it, I was hearkening back to the idea of the thing and, and yeah. revisiting yeah. science fiction and how we often we often recognize that that science fiction portends aspects of the future. Yes, it is. And so you know, even if where he that author suggested a burned out asteroid under the ice in the Arctic and so forth, and now we're finding a burned out meteorite under the ice in the Arctic. I mean, it's just <laughs> the parallels are there. I know, I know. You're going like, so, okay, this is too freaky. <laughs> So anyway, but I want to bring up bring up some some other little tidbits, um, uh, things that have been going on in space that we haven't touched on before. Virgin Galactic is is making some real progress. Oh, I love talking about Virgin Galactic. Virgin Galactic, uh, their their flight testing program is moving forward fairly steadily. Um, I think the last I heard uh, or read that they're looking to uh, the date that I heard was uh, tail end of this year or first part of next year for them to actually begin commercial flights. Uh, I think if they make that, um, that would be just absolutely awesome. Um, They completed their uh, first glide uh, glide in flight of Spaceship Two last December. Which was awesome. It was that's one of the very first things they needed to do. And of course, the uh, the mothership has been in test flights for quite a while. <laughs> I I just happen to look because you know I happen to love Richard Branson. By the way, he's just like <laughs> such a he's a Brit. Oh my God! You just love the accent. That's no, all. no more than that. You just I just love his entire look. But anyway, I was just looking up his uh, his information. <laughs> he's got a book out called Losing My Virginity. <laughs> you don't have to say it. he not only not only is good looking, but he's got sense of humor apparently. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the next one called "Screw It." So obviously, he lost his virginity and screwed it. 
then let's do it. Uh, you know, this this is too weird. I guess I have to go find out what these books are about. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to the company and what they're doing. Um, you've got uh, Virgin Galactic has been integral in participating in the establishment of the uh, Mojave. Is it Mojave? Spaceport America in New Mexico. Now, they either are completed or in the final stages of completing the construction of the New Mexico Spaceport America, which which is going to be the first launch-off point for Virgin Galactic, which is also exciting. So, in fact, you go to the Virgin Galactic Space uh, website, you can find they've got some pictures there, one where they talk, they show the spaceport. They've got some news about it. And in the spaceport, they're actually showing the hangar space where the uh, uh, Spaceship Two and the Mothership Eve is, is actually parked uh, near the hangar there, ready as if, as if it's poised to take off. I always off. found that their so. design is interesting. Oh, yeah. It is very, very interesting. It's, it's uh, unusual. Yeah. I, I think that as time goes on, when we start seeing spaceports arrive over the years, we're going to see those become a little bit more uh, functional, uh-huh. uh, which is going to be interesting. And, of course, something here I hadn't seen about is that um, Virgin Galactic is looking at, apparently, uh, developing a launcher for satellite launches and things like that for orbit. So using their, their twin fuselage craft. So that's that's interesting. Some new things going on there. Um, <clears throat> the Virgin Galactic, you know, they're doing suborbital flights. This is space tourism at its at its most specific. Um, but you know, we talk about going to orbit and, and things like that. There's another group that's been real interesting lately. Um, I don't know if many people have been following, it, but China launched their first module of their space station this past year. Yeah, they're just getting on the ball. They are getting on the ball. They have done a lot in the last uh, last few years um, moving forward. And, and, in fact, I believe that station uh, is intended to be a multi-module unit, mm-hmm. uh, as I recall. Um, where was it? I had it here a little bit ago. Um, and they're hoping to do that. Although I have to say, you know, uh, I think it would be awesome um, if their station, uh, which oh, where are they putting that? Did they? I wonder if they said that in the article. No, they don't. So they'll have three modules for the Chinese station, hoping to complete it in 2020, which is exciting. You know, it might not be as big as the ISS, but the ISS is like third or fourth generation. Um, Mir being something that, that people have watched. And Mir is actually, the Chinese station is actually close to Mir in its size and capacity. But it's going to be interesting if... Uh, as the Chinese develop this station, I, I sadly I think it, it's. Um, yeah, why do you think they wanted to get into this? China into the race, you know. Pride, politics, 
um, any nation would all, like to do this. Because they have everybody else's money? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are, they are awash in, in cash, yeah. but they've got the same... They're they're developing far faster than any other industrialization in developing a lot of the same problems that we have. Um, well, I think they're moving forward on some things, but they are, they're still behind on you know things like civil liberties and um, yeah, you know things like you know some they're like still we take, we take dis- despite of. the progress they've made in moving towards. Um, benefits of certain aspects of capitalism in their economy, they they still you you still got a hardline group of of people controlling most of it, and that has its advantages as well as its downside. So I, it'll be interesting to watch and see how far they're able to go. The challenge I see for the Chinese space program is that public pressure within China ultimately. Is going to be a serious problem for them as their population's problems come to the fore. I mean, they're already the pressures they're feeling from their population yeah. for to yeah. deal with other domestic problems is becoming a resounding well. That's why huge I'm wondering issue. why you think they wanted to get involved here. Uh, as you think that they see more than maybe other countries that space is becoming limited. Well. They're already one of the most populous countries on the planet. And they think that they need to move them elsewhere. Well, no, I think I think you got to look at the space programs for what they are. You look at India, you look at uh, Ariane, and you look at the Russians' program. You look at the U.S. program, and the Chinese program is very very similar to each of the other nationalized uh, space programs. It's more about developing science. It's more about developing technology. It's less about putting people up there. And don't get me wrong, astronauts are people. But it's about putting up people who toe the line, who do and perform the goals of the mission and the mission only. It's very little about looking at um, how do we push the envelope to prepare for putting regular people into space. And whether it's Earth orbit, whether it's the the moon, or whether it's moving on to Mars, what I was getting at earlier before we moved on to China is the idea that we need as individual countries and moving forward as, as a group, we need to be looking at the long-term goal of moving people outward. Hmm. Now, in Europe, in the in the 1500s, the the cities and towns of of Europe were packed. They were so so tightly crammed in, they just didn't have any place to go. And so, when the new world opened up, it it opened up whole new opportunities, and and Europe literally exploded. And forgive the the reference here, like a huge zit. <laughs> And people just uh, poured uh, into the new world. What I had in mind. So. <laughs> uh, a volcano spewing people lava all over the planet. Oh I mean, you had you had Australia became a penal colony, and people just poured into Australia after the first the fifty, sixty years. Yeah, you know, and and people poured into the North and South America because they just didn't have any place to go. Yeah, there really was no way to to grow. 
Um, and I see that, that with the challenges that every nation on the planet faces mm-hmm. in population, in sanitation, and things mm-hmm. like this, you know, that's not to say that I think the earth is, is overcrowded. I don't think it is. Our cities are overcrowded. Wow. There's Urban the problem. Sprawl. Urban sprawl uh, from our cities, and at the same time, you get that many people crammed in one place, you're going to have health and and people problems that are going to just literally get in the way of everything. Me of, I went to New York a few years back, and I was in shock at uh, something I, I saw that I'd never seen before, and that is uh, the cars were being conveyor belted onto... <laughs> it, it was just astounding that they had to try to conserve space. I remember you talking about that. And it was, uh, I, I got stopped because I was uh, I was hearing some ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk really loud. And uh, I was going past this, this open lot and turned to watch this. It was just, I was just in awe and shock and dismay all at once. <laughs> it wasn't an automobile parking garage. No. It was an automobile Computer. cupboard. Yeah, it was yeah. Literally exactly. it was a cupboard. It was a cupboard. And when they had to move a car, they had to put them on pulleys. These these cars were on pulleys for God's sakes. And in order to move them down to the slot so that you can take the car out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, My God, has we gotten this bad to have this much urban sprawl that we can't even have a normal parking lot anymore? Well, here's the thing. Urban sprawl is about spreading out. In Phoenix, California has urban sprawl. When you look at New York, you've got urban compacting. It's just so many people are well, so tight in areas. That's what I'm thinking that compacting then. Yeah. So, so it's not the sprawl, it's the compacting that really is is, is shocked me. And, and I think we have that here. I mean, Mesa can't go any grow any further. I mean, we're up against every border. Yeah, the landlocked. It's, Tempe is also landlocked. Yeah, so there's just um, no way to move any further. Phoenix and Scottsdale are running a uh, running gun battle north of town, uh, as they both shoot north uh, to to grab for more space. Yeah. And Scottsdale doesn't have anywhere else to go but north because they're lo- they're locked in on the on the east with the well, reservation. They're, yeah, they're pretty much. Uh, but. Yeah, these are all real issues that these municipalities face, and in a greater sense, the cities of of each nation face, in that people want to work in the city because there's jobs. Right, right. But then again, you get into the city, you lose your job, now you're you're stuck. Right. You've got no way to get out of the city to, to find work, to pay your expenses so you can live. People do not want to farm in the dirt. They just don't want to do that. It's dirty. It's grimy. It's hard work. Well, they've lost their uh, their knowledge of doing so. Yeah, and I think this is one of the aspects that I think where Mar Inspiration Mars and Golden Spike miss the boat. And 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 that's the message that I'm trying to to tout here is that is it's time to solve a lot of the problems that we face in in the world to look at providing a way for people to take a shot. So and I think... That leads us, I think, to... Uh, you know, you're talking about your... The, the, the lunar ha- the habitat 
not lunar habitat, the habitat that they're that they're able to inflate. Inflatable module, yeah. And I thought, wouldn't that be great to be used on the moon and the ideas that you have for the habitat? <coughs> Sorry. Well, there are different. You know, once you once you've constructed and you designed and constructed a habitat that you can inflate, that gives you a good radiation shield, that gives you solid uh, protection from the vacuum of space, gives you a working space that you can sit in with a shirt sleeve, you open up a whole lot of opportunities. Okay? But here's here's the rub. The, the habitats so far constructed are constructed as cylinders. Okay? okay. They're designed for the weightlessness of space where orientation is not a big issue. Where you're going to be floating, you you kick off one wall, you get over to the next wall, you do something there, you kick off at a tangent into a different direction, and it it's there's a lot of freedom with that. You can really arrange things any which way you wish. You've got a lot of volume to work with. It's great for being in space. But a cylindrical habitat like that on the surface of any body isn't as effective because you've got a floor you have to anticipate for. So a cylinder isn't as effective on the ground as it is in orbit or on the way between planets. And so that's that's a great thing. But what I again the core that I'm I'm really focusing on is if you're gonna send people to Mars, don't bring them back. Right. Give them, give them tools they can use. But as you said, we need to go to the moon and actually. We need to go to the moon to first. Prove this, you know, don't want to just take them to Mars and drop them off. Yeah. Without proving that, hey, yes, they that can they can survive. survive. Exactly, and I think we need to do much the same way that Britain did with Australia in the early days of the penal colony. There, they had. They gave everybody there sufficient materials and tools to make their way on the new land. The same is true of the settlers in America, but with the settlers in America, we ran into different problems they didn't expect. First of all, they landed late. They arrived, and it was coming into winter. They were not prepared for the winter right. in New England. I mean, that's, that's a harsh winter, Yeah. you know, anywhere. And, and in the, the 1500s, 1600s, you didn't have the trucks and the vehicles and the, the fuel oil and stuff that you could haul in to keep people safe or an extra neighbor. Yeah. So these are all issues that we face when we look at being able to build homes and businesses on Mars and, as I suggest, first the moon. We have the technology. We have the inflatable module technology. They've They've proven it. He's had two modules that are up there, and I was looking at those modules on the website recently. Those modules are still in orbit. Their orbits are still intact. Um, They're not getting much telemetry from them anymore, but those modules are still there. And they're still looking at stuff. So... What are you looking for? Oh, Golden Spike. That is right here. Um, So so let's back up and and focus for a minute. I believe that a single plant that unites 
all of the current projects into a single process. Golden Spike is a mining business more than anything else. Their goal is to send people there and ultimately build a business that lets people mine the materials there. And platinum metals are literally worth their weight. They are they are extremely valuable. They're being used up here on, on Earth, and we need more of them. Do I really think that's a viable business model? Not for the foreseeable future. The cost of sending stuff to Earth, even though you're basically dropping it into the Earth gravity well, um, has value, but any kind of mining operation is going to require an industrial infrastructure. It's going to require robotics that you've got to keep working. And the single most frustrating thing that I believe, based on everything I've read, that they're going to find on um, the moon is going to be the dust. The duck? Dust. Oh. (laughs) Dust. Lunar dust. Lunar dust is deadly to everything. It's like little triangles of sharp pointed glass. And you don't want to inhale this stuff. You don't want it you don't want to get it into the bearings. You don't want to get it into seals. You don't want to get it into the air. You don't want to get it into any parts that a robot's going to use. It'd be awfully hard not to. Exactly. And so one of the things that I've I've watched in the in the dialogues that I've seen with the NASA websites, the the Mars Society websites, and a lot of these um, different pages that I go to, they talk about how do you mitigate the problem with the dust. And the reality is the moon is covered in this stuff. You're not going to mitigate it. It's just you're not going to get rid of it. You're not going to get out of it. You've got to dig in it. You've got to dig into it. You're going to be in the midst of it. So you've got to accept it in the same way that, um, American farmers had to deal with the wild grasses growing on the plains. Uh-huh. You know, you carve out your spot and you go from there. That's interesting. They were doing a Kickstarter for Golden Spire. Yeah. And they're raising $240,000, which is $1 for each mile between the Earth and the Moon. Right. Now, the interesting thing to note about this Kickstarter campaign is is that this is for um, the funds to perform the exploratory research to get there. That's what I'm going to say. How how would that equate 240000 I know it's a crazy small number. Yeah. Um, they've got $7,000 right now. Is it any go go? I'll let you. I could send you guys this link. And it's two hundred forty thousand dollar goal. They have fifty one more days to do this. Um, and they went ahead and used a flexible funding campaign, so that way they wouldn't have to be forced to have actually two hundred forty thousand. So whatever you uh, put in yeah. is what's what's really going to go out. Again, the the thing that that bothers me about these is is that these are more splash. Golden Spike is Splash. Inspiration Mars, it's Splash. And the thing is, while while it's exciting, it's a great idea, it's a wonderful vision, but what can the rest of us get excited about? You're going to pick two people out of millions. Right, exactly. Okay? 
And the rest of the population isn't going to give a rat's butt. And they they have some pretty pictures here. Oh, they got some gorgeous <laughs> pictures. I mean, you know, this one's cool. Yeah, they got some really pretty pictures here. That yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful vision. It's an exciting vision. Yeah. But well, the problem okay. is, it's just that. And that's probably what they're looking for: something to hop up people and 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 like something to get behind. But I will tell you right now that my opinion is. For what it's worth, it's going to die on the vine. And it's going to die on the vine just as much as the Inspiration Mars is. You can get, they can probably fund through investors and things like this. There are probably enough people out there that they can probably fund both trips and make the trips. Mm -hmm. But here is the question what next? Yeah. And that's, and that's just it. There is no they plan. They spend all their money to do a flyby. Right. They're raising all this money to do the flyby to Mars, or they're raising all this money for a one-shot deal to the moon. Are they expecting to do the same process every single trip? They're going to go bankrupt before they get to their third trip. Right. It's just not sustainable in that model. No. It's not really feasible. No. It's the same thing that people have done that NASA has tried to do for most of their projects, only they had the coffers of the taxpayers' pocketbook to work with. Which Granted, it was diluted by uh, Congress, but they still had taxpayer money at, at huge, you know, millions and, and, and billions of dollars over the last 45 years. So, you know, there's, there's value in that for research. But uh, again, here's the problem, the core problem in all of these things, whether it be Golden Spike, or whether it be um, Inspiration Mars. There was another one. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, I wish I could remember what it was. But there was another one a few uh, a few months ago that talked about, oh, here we go. Um, Space Adventures has a program where they will take you to the moon. Yeah. For it's, it's within the same ballpark as, as Golden Spike. Why don't these companies all pull together and then do it right? Well, there's this corporate mentality called not invented here that gets in the way. Uh, if it's not their idea, they don't want to do uh, it. Same thing with countries. Well, it's the same thing. It's one of the same issues that you face between the Mars Society and the National Space Society and the Moon Society. Yeah, they know. have their individual goals, and they don't want to join forces to be stronger. I don't get that at all. I don't either. Because these are the same problems that relate to why these two programs will not have a long-term lasting effect. And here's the core. Listen carefully. It's about public involvement. If you don't get the public involved. Now, I'm not saying you get them to give you money. That's not, that doesn't solve the problem. You have to get the public involved. They need to volunteer at events. They need to participate. They need to believe that they have a chance at a ticket to go. Yeah. But they can't pay for it. They, they want to be able to work their way across. You give people this chance, mm -hmm. the ability to have a way to ride and live and make their way there. And there is a model in the old, when you, when you look at, at the historical things and, and you look at the history of, the penal colonies that became a people colony 
in Australia, when you look at the settlements in North America, you look at the settlements in South America, and you look at the way most of those were handled, they were handled by people going into debt to get there, paying off the debt while they were there. Right, worked it off. Worked it off. Mm-hmm. Indentured servitude is, is one method of doing that. Um, there are other ways to do that. But I guarantee you, and mark my words, read my lips, until these get it into their thick skulls, that until you figure out a way to involve the general public, you ain't going nowhere. Ain't going to happen. Will not raise enough money to have any long-term impact. You got the mass major the majority of the mass population today is a bunch of iPod slinging, heads down people in their cars going rushing at breakneck speed from home to work and then out to the next party or the next bar that they want to get to. They could care less whether some doofus and his wife decides to go to Mars and back. There's nothing in it for them. No, they'll talk about it for about half a second. They they might have a they might have a like on the Facebook page and that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think about likes on Facebook. Yeah. There's no investment. And until these companies come to a realization that you've got to get the public to invest in a personal way, even NASA is doomed. Virgin Galactic's got the right idea. You bring the cost down by even if you have to streamline this package, but you do it in 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 an incremental way. Virgin Galactic started out by saying they could deliver to paying customers a trip to suborbit, five to ten minute duration in, in orbit, and then you come back down. It's basically a day trip. It's a small step. But in doing so, they've developed some technology that... Uh, Paul Allen from Microsoft has joined up with a series of partners to start up uh, Strato, Strato, what's it called? Strato, Strato Launch, where they're taking the Virgin Galactic paradigm, scaling it up to a much huger, much larger ship so that they can actually launch craft. Um, what do they call it? Strato what? Strato Launch. Strato Launch, L-A-U-N-C-H. There it is, second one. This thing is huge. There, there's an image on online that compares it to a 747. And in fact, the Stratolaunch plane is designed to use two 747 fuselages and six 747 engines to carry the rocket up to altitude and launch and literally drop launch the, the rocket from there. Now, Granted, you're you're going up around. Um, let's see. Do they? Seems to be kind of off, doesn't it? That's a weird design. It, it looks odd, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's but when you consider, you have to think. When you're looking at the picture, we're looking at the the front page of Strata Launch Systems website. The the Strata Launch link. Uh, the, the image they've got is is an artist's rendition of the ship with an actual rocket in place. Yeah. 
see from here. I thought that was odd that you can even see it more pronounced on the one the carrier craft here. You got the ship basically here. No, 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 no. Those are the fuselage parts of the carrier craft. That's the carrier craft. Both of them. Both of them are. Both of them okay. are part of the carrier craft. The people are here, right? Yeah. Well, no. You're you're the pilots well, are in that cockpit right. on the on the right hand or the so starboard nacelle. Right. In the center is your rocket that they're going to launch. Oh, this one. That one. Uh-huh. Okay. So they would have to even that out, I would think. This would have to be the same weight. In that big a craft, five human bodies are not going to make any difference. <laughs> no, I meant that once this goes off, these two have to be pretty balanced. Otherwise, it's going to... They have... They, uh, most aircraft like that have what they call fuel balancing pump systems that keep the fuel balanced throughout the wing fuel tanks. Okay. They they do that. That's just part of aircraft design these days. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. So now everybody knows, okay? <laughs> and in fact, that comes into play when we talk about the Falcon Heavy. One of the, the new things that Falcon, that SpaceX is doing with Falcon Heavy is, is that when you have the three piece Falcon Heavy ship. Mm-hmm. You got the big ship in the center, right. and then you've got the two strap-on additional boosters. Well, what they've done is that when that thing launches, the fuel that gets used gets used from the two outer boosters. Okay. Well, yeah. So that by the time they're ready to drop off, right. those two boosters are empty. Right. And all the fuel's been put in the center so that that ship or that portion of the ship has completely full tanks to finish the trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's by using these leveling pumps to bring that fuel over as it's used. Hmm. And it, it it's it's an awesome idea, and it makes perfect – it's purely logical. Oh, sure. Okay. So, but that's that's, that's an interesting thing. It just me off because that's not that's – not a- it's a counterbalance type of thing. Yeah, and of course it looks like it's way front heavy too. Yeah. So, but you know these are engineers; they know how to balance that stuff pretty well. So um, you gotta, gotta take a look at those. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Stratolaunch has has been out. Uh, they made their announcement last year sometime. I don't remember when, but they're they're moving forward. I know they've they've acquired both of the 747s they're using as the core for the ship. They'll be work starting work on. Uh, Construct uh, breaking those apart and transferring all the equipment over soon, uh, and so I don't know that they had any projections for their first launch yet. They've been around for a while. Founded in 1982. Hmm. Who's founded in 1980? Oh no, no, that's um, Scale oh, Composites. Oh. Scale yeah. Composites was founded in 82. Oh, okay. But Rutan, who is the guy who designed yeah, the awesome. Virgin Galactic ship. Hmm. Which is probably why it's got a similar look to it. In fact, Paul Allen funded the early work on the Spaceship One. Ah, the plot thickens. Yes. So, you know, these this is a tight-knit group. When you look at yeah, really, uh, Launch, and you look at Virgin, and you, uh, Virgin Galactic, and you look at Scale Composites, Scale Composites is also doing work for Boeing nowadays yeah, on their CST-100 uh, uh, craft that will be – that will be the CST 100, I believe, is a competitor for Dragon, and will be a man-rated ship to to do that. They're due for their first launch to the ISS, I believe, sometime next year, 2014. I think was the schedule I read. So, but they've got 
a lot of stuff going and so forth. By the way, SpaceX is no longer tied to Strata Launch. They uh, they split apart. Uh, SpaceX was trying to keep their design for their launch craft similar on their track, and they ended up parting companies with Strata Launch. Strata Launch is working with a couple of other companies now, huh. so they they do need to update their website though. Strata Launch is listening to this. Update your system. Yeah, show us where your booster's coming from, guys. Yeah. The right booster. The right booster. That's yeah. Make it right. It's actually been a month, a couple of months since um, since they made the change. Yeah, press releases are older. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Allen, yeah, yeah, I have somebody go out and update that website. That would yeah. that would be a cool thing. We'd like to do better at uh, keeping up with you guys. Um, but yeah, and these are exciting things, and these are wonderful developments for the technology. And, you know, the Strata launch represents a, a, a size of booster that's going to be important for getting uh, payloads to orbit. Um, there may even be ways to get uh, manned craft into orbit using the Strata launch. It is, the specs suggest that it's capable to do that. Mm. Um, so we've got we've got the Dragon booster system, Falcon Heavy, hopefully going to be um, coming into testing this, this year and perhaps... Uh, make it into uh, live launch sometime in 2014, which would be cool. The Grasshopper, I don't know if anybody's heard about that. The Grasshopper at SpaceX is a fully reusable booster. They've actually had two test flights that they've put up on YouTube. Uh, Google Grasshopper and SpaceX together, and you'll see the um, uh, the videos of that they've put up. Uh, and it's 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 exciting what they're working on and trying to do this. And this is the cool thing. If SpaceX achieves what they've set out to do to build a completely reusable booster, we are talking launch costs, which currently run about $60 million for a SpaceX Dragon launch. Okay? It's right around $60 million, give or take a few. All right? It's kind of cute. Yeah. If they can succeed at getting Grasshopper functional... And dependable, we're talking because those boosters themselves are are expensive. You can reuse the boosters. Yeah. You just you bring it back down, you refuel it, boom, you light it up again in a matter of of weeks or or, or a month yeah, or two. Sense, I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah, these are things that you just can't. Ultimate recycling. Yeah, um, one of my biggest complaints early on with the space program and the, and the ISS in particular that for years. They sent cargo up in the Soyuz, in the ATV, in the other ships uh, that went up. And then what they did is they filled them up with garbage and threw them away. Yeah. They literally burned up in the atmosphere. Oh, that's 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 multi-million dollars of of prime equipment yeah. and real estate that um, is lost. I mean, you figure to give you an idea here. Soyuz has launched traditionally about one. A month or one every two months. Yeah, that amazing. For fifteen freaking years. Now that's 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 between four and eight a year, okay? Yeah. Multiplied by fifteen, so you figure eight times fifteen. What is that? Eight times ten is eighty, mm-hmm. and another forty. That's a hundred and twenty ships that were thrown away, not including the craft that were used. By the Japanese and 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 Ariane space. Yeah, that's yeah. 
And you're talking a hundred million dollars uh, price range for the ATV that the Ariane Space sends yeah, out. Yeah, that's an awful lot of equipment that's again not being reused. Yeah. And you know, waste not, what not. Yeah. One of the things that would make these these units like the the ATV, well, reusable. the ATV from the Ariane Space and the Japanese cargo unit, I forget what it's called. Um, these units actually have engines on them. If they could be refueled, that could be turned into storage space, experiment space. They become uh, fuel units to be able to boost the station, to move the station, do all sorts of okay, things. So this company who's, who's doing their reusable boosters? SpaceX. Okay. This is not NASA. No. So follow me, if you will. I don't recall in any of my reading that NASA ever even considered a reusable booster. This is where my problem is, okay? Because every government project, they they think they have a you know a, a blank check. Yeah. With our with our money, and I'm talking all of our money, people. It's a blank check. What she that makes sense is nice and even. Virgin Galactic. Uh, but those are just small satellites. Yeah. Uh, Strata Launch is looking to launch big satellites and perhaps even manned craft. So it's yeah, it's two levels doing. of the same thing. Again, SpaceX is doing an incremental approach, a step-by-step. -step. Get the first little bitty pod to go up into space first. Right, right. Get that to work. Get their booster system. The, and the, I agree. The, 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 the issue is that it's about time that it, it took a private industry Mm -hmm. To say, you know what, we should be reusing these things. Yeah. Like, duh. Well, NASA looked at the space shuttle as a way to reuse the equipment and so forth, but they still threw away three quarters of yeah. the ship. Yeah. They still threw away the quite tank. A and where which is it now? Yeah. Twenty years ago, they talked about reusing that tank. It could be refitted in and, orbit and, and that used. Was and they, huge tank. That was huge. It's bigger than the shuttle itself. But NASA decided to throw that away, and the shuttle went up, what, 20, 30 times over the course of the, Which, the 15 of years? It's not 120, but, you know. It's not 120, but it was it was enough. Yeah. And every one of those tanks is, most of them are sitting at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. And as I said, you know, they were too big to disintegrate. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people don't know this, but the external tank and the shuttle, the shuttle carries sufficient fuel to take that tank all the way to the ISS. It was designed that way. It was intended to take that tank all the way up. So, yeah, and I think you had mentioned that before. And I'm like, okay, so why didn't they? They could have with, with I'm sure, the engineer, if they had thought about it or somebody had told them to do it, for the additional expense, would have been worth it to take a few of those tanks and put them up and turn them into a depot so that they could be refilled mm -hmm. and turn them into a fuel depot. NASA and most of the space yes, community agrees. Space. They agree. All of them agree unanimously across the board that a fuel depot in space is key to moving outward. Absolutely key. And here it wasn't being done. And here, here they had a perfect yeah. opportunity yeah. and didn't do it. They could have done two things at once with every shuttle launch. Yeah. They could have put this equipment up there. They could have kept it in a complementary orbit to the space station so that it was nearby, but far enough away to not be a problem. Right. 
Um, and conceptually, it makes a lot of sense. There may have been other issues, such as collisions and I think we about issues like this. Certain uh, L1 or something position around the moon. Lagrange points uh, would have been good, but getting those tanks into the Lagrange points between the Earth and Moon would have been dicey, very, very expensive, a lot of weight to move. Um, and uh, I remember reading a, a paper that talked about a study that was done to see if the shuttle could actually make it all the way to the Moon. And the answer is yes, it could. Would never land. Well, it was meant to. Well, the shuttle was meant to land like an airplane. Land like an airplane, but okay, so. But you wouldn't land the shuttle on the moon. First of all, there's there you, other issues. There's other issues. First of all, you got pneumatic wheels. Pneumatic wheels uh, um, okay. are not all that good in a vacuum. Uh, and especially it's with all that, thing, then. no, it's no? it's the lunar yeah, dust and lunar. There's no oh, runway uh, down there to land on. Lunar dust again. Yeah, the dust would have gotten yeah, in. Kicked up all sorts of dust. Oh heavens, yes. Oh my goodness. You know the dust is is six to eight inches thick in places. You know that's 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 a lot. Yeah. The shuttle would have never landed. They they never they never that was part of the paper. It was not intended to land on the moon. Right. But the shuttle had the the capacity, its its ability to deliver cargo could have delivered a massive amount of cargo to lunar orbit. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you had if you if you put if you put the shuttle into in the LEO low Earth orbit and you then refuel it by keeping that tank on board you could have put more than enough fuel in that external tank on the shuttle to carry that shuttle to the moon and back and still had a little bit left over. Very cool. I'm going to remind everybody, because we're, we're winding down here, it's, uh, you want to talk, you better get, get to it, because I'm not going to stay here for two, far, two hours. So 714-242-5145. 242 so if you have a question or a comment and you don't want to call in, you can also do use the chat in the bottom of, you know, right underneath the information about the show. There's a chat area. So, you know, give me your question or your comment, and I will offer it to Don here. So we're at the pilot. You know, let's make it we'll start winding down here okay. um, in the next 10 I'm minutes. I'll summarize just a couple of things, if I may, and that is that, you know. Um, I'll let you. <laughs> thank you. So generous. The Inspiration Mars is a wonderful, wonderful vision. Golden Spike is a wonderful, wonderful vision. It's an, it's an awesome thing. It's a great flash in the pan, and that's exactly the problem with it. Both projects um, are not about long-term goals. Golden Spike talks about establishing um, a path to commercial lunar business, but they're not doing anything to – they're not – nobody's talking about hiring miners to take and do the work. And there's a little tidbit. I, I followed many years an interest in robotics. And NASA installed and developed – they spent almost 20 years developing RoboNot. Robonaut is a humanoid robot that was installed on the ISS um, 
I think midway through last year. 20 years in development. And this was the one that was installed for the station, I believe, was the second, third generation, maybe second, Robonaut 2.0. It was second generation. And the problem is, I recall, I don't know that they've even unpacked it yet. Yeah. It's not supposed to go, it's not even scheduled to go into trials until later this year. So even with that, the problem I have is, is that they've spent 20 years developing a robot. They're going to spend at least a year before it's set up. It's going to spend six months to a year in trials before they even put it to work. If robotic missions take that long to develop, we could have sent a crew of three up there and had the job done by now five times over. And this is the complaint that I'm saying. The cost of a human life is being placed on such a high plateau that the value of that human life on Earth is getting worse. We do not have the opportunity to push the envelope of the new frontier. And until these companies get it through their heads, until the space advocates get it into their heads, and until NASA gets it through their thick skull, that you've got to involve the public in a frontier push. They're never going to go anywhere. Virgin Galactic and SpaceX... And Stratolaunch, three companies that are clearly taking an incremental approach to getting to space. They're not giving us a great, big, huge vision. They're offering us work. They're offering us options now. They're not telling us that in two years, if we raise enough money, we'll send two people to Mars. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, five years from now, they'll send two people to Mars. They're not talking five years from now. SpaceX is delivering cargo to the ISS this week. Virgin Galactic already has their first plane in flight test and will be starting hauling passengers next year. Stratolaunch will probably be in flight test next year. These are companies who have a vision for long-term business viability. And they are involving a customer base, not two people not doing a flash in the pan. If you're going to raise $1 billion, $2 billion, or $10 billion, let's raise that money, and here's the challenge, folks. Let's raise that money and send settlements. Start on the moon. We know how to live in space. Let's take that and scale back from the science mission, and let's put people to stay on the moon. I think that's the best route, and it will you will it, you fire up the opportunity for people to start a regular path to the moon first, with the plan that from the moon they can go to Mars. You're going to have people standing in the aisleways bigger than the Star Wars re, re, redo, and you're not you're going to be you're going to be having to fight people off who want to go. Right? That would be awesome. So, 
I would challenge these companies. I would challenge Robert Zubrin. Let's get back away from the grand vision of people like Marshall Savage and come back to earth with an incremental plan to move forward in a sustainable manner by embracing the public, making them part of what we're doing, not by advertising a vision, but by making them part of the process. Make it possible in an economic business model to send people, average Joes, farmers, plumbers, carpenters, miners, who can go up, set up the habitat, set up living space, set up farms, start growing food for export to the ISS. Why should we be shipping food from Earth to the ISS when if they could grow it on the moon, they could ship it to to the ISS a whole lot cheaper? Talk about products. You know, there's food, there's clothing, there's water, there's air. All could be produced on a on a lunar settlement and shipped to the ISS. And even then, those products could be stockpiled from that production into materials that could then be built up for the trip to Mars. Next time, I'm going to... What? You mean a plan? You're talking about a plan, are we? Yes, I'm talking about a plan. You're talking about a revolution? I'm talking about maybe. I'm talking about that there is a way. There is a way that if you change the direction, come away from the idea that everybody has to survive. If they assumed that, this country would have never been settled. That's, well, yeah. <laughs> we would have never come over on the ships. If they didn't expect a few people to die in the process, we wouldn't be here today. They definitely wouldn't be in Arizona. That's for sure. <laughs> Stinking desert. Give the people a chance. A lot of the engineer types that I've spoken to over the years have this mistaken idea that if you put average people in a habitat on the moon, they won't know what to do. i got to tell you, folks, they'll find stuff to do. Oh, yeah. If it ain't making babies. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> I doubt that'll happen them. real quick. But you put people up there that know how to farm, real farm, dirt farming. You get them into a habitat where they can, they start with hydroponics and then they, they do things like composting. You take that composting, you start building a stock of, of dirt with the bacteria and everything else in it that you need for good plant growth. You can create a biome and you build this biome and you treat it like a, like a, like a single cell embryo and you grow this biome on the moon. And it will become a life form in and of its own. Give it the chance. Invest in the biome. Invest in our growth as an organism, as a species beyond this planet. We cannot hope in any way, shape, or form to use a shiny tin can to carry humans out to Mars or the moon or further if we're going to limit the exposure of our humans 
in these environments to just our technology. We have got to embrace a biome in the same way that Marshall Savage suggested such in his cylinder habitats for orbit and transiting deep space. He was right. You can't transit space without a recycling environment. A biome has to be a living organism. The Earth is one, and we can't survive without the biome. The moon will never develop without a biome, and neither will Mars. And just by skipping the moon and going all the way to Mars and blowing a boatload of money to say that you did it is no excuse. In my mind, it's a waste of money. What was that? I'd be interested uh, in y'all's feedback. You know, I believe that most people these days are disconcerted. You know, it's 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 nice to hear about Virgin Galactic and SpaceX and the Dragon and and all of the neat stuff that people are announcing these days. But I got to tell you, there's only a handful of companies that actually have shown a track record for getting stuff done. Virgin Galactic and SpaceX are our current leaders. You know, you've got some up-and-coming companies, Xcor, Maston, Armadillo, uh, some other new space companies out there that are making progress in their areas, and that's admirable. But our front runners, SpaceX and Virgin Galactic, kudos off and hats off to you guys because you're making it happen, and I think the incremental approach that those companies have taken should be a standard by which everybody should follow. I agree. Here, here. So I think you're winding down, and that, that's a good thing. There's an irony happening going on back. I could go on and on yeah. and on. Well, yes, but we need some other things to talk about in a week or so. Space right. is my passion. And yeah. I, I will say this. If you guys decide to come back, this plan that I have in mind, I might even be interested in, in maybe she can cajole me to release a little bit more about how this plan would work to better involve the public and some neat little idiocies that I think might actually work to generate some money without the government. Well, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are getting their their seed money through other people who believe in them or just want Absolutely. to be, have a part of it, yeah. a piece of it. I think there are a lot of people out there, whether they be lottery winners or whether they be, be people like Elon Musk who who made his money through good business practices that, that mm-hmm. earned him that capital, that are looking for some place to invest in a long-term return. And, you know, I, I look, at, look at where's the return on investment here? Where's the long-term return on investment? You're going to spend billions of dollars to make a trip and come back, and you're left with no equipment when you're done, no capital assets. Right. You're left with uh, a little bit of scientific stuff to to show for it. But uh, yeah, you're winding up again. So why? Yeah. So so. So let's let's. I have. Said, next time we're going to talk about some investment strategies. There you go. So we got so we got some things on here. Obviously, you guys need to grab these before um, we get off. But 
Uh, we're going to put you on a little break here, real fast break, and we're going to come right back and uh, wind down and, and give some announcements for what we, some things we have coming up here. So with that, thank you, Don, for coming on. Thank you. As usual, you push your button and you go. <laughs> <laughs> I am passionate about space travel. Yes. But you also know what you're talking about, so that's what we, we enjoy having I've done here. the reading. Free break and this is KWAD Radio and this is Patty Holstrand. Hang on because i got some other things to talk about. Wild Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand. Uh, we want to talk to Donna Eshill here, but uh, we want to talk about some other things going on. And uh, Don's part of the group that's taking over KWAD, but he's also uh, the man- uh, business manager for the WAD Media, who uh, it's gotten its grassroots start with the newspaper and also website. And so, Don, you want to talk about uh, the WAD newspaper? We launched last month the WAD. The WAD, spelled W-O-D, is our new newspaper, webzine um, project. We we the website is at thewad.net. Check it out. We've got news and information about uh, uh, geek stuff, mostly conventions. That's what we're targeting. But 
But uh, we'll also be talking about a little bit of science and space every once in a while. We'll be talking about cosplay. There's stuff about uh, anime, books. Uh, a lot of the stuff that, that people would I like mean, to keep up on these days. It's you not, know. Just, not just movie reviews. We're talking about, you know, where we do actual interviews with uh, some of the producers, the independent films, um, and also some of the stars that are playing in these independent films. Sure. With this content, we're also, we chose to actually launch a printed newspaper to go with it. Each month, we deliver this paper mostly around Arizona and into uh, a few places in California and a couple of other states. But our focus is to deliver these papers to conventions around the country. And we were able to actually start that this uh, last month with Virginia, with Mysticon. Mysticon actually got hey guys a few selected people at Mysticon got copies uh, of our first two, edition 200 of the copies, one. Two hundred copies. Two hundred. For the first in inaugural issue, so put wad. it in glass. <laughs> <laughs> the wad under glass. Huh? The wad under glass. No, that's a that's that's a thought. <laughs> People have asked what is the wad. Well, what is a wad? Think about a wad. It's a wad of paper. It's a wad of news. It's a wad. Well, never mind. I won't go there. But it's a wad of just about anything. It's, it's, it's the wad. idea of in in geekdom. It's and, oh, and fandom, it's it's the whole wad. It's just whatever else is there. I mean, if you go online, yeah. you look at you look at the different things. I mean, got uh interview with you know an, uh, an author. You got uh, the movie set for this brand new Western town. Got an author who talks about convention news and and where he'd been. And uh, you got bookcast, uh, Brick K bookcast, who they talk audio and video shows. And yeah, you, know, you got uh, articles on books. You got articles on a lot of things. You got gaming information. You got gaming review, a couple game uh, movie reviews. You got book reviews. So you you got a lot of a lot of cool stuff. You got club listings for the area. I mean, right now we only have club listings for Arizona, but we definitely have to change that and add more club listings. So you guys need to get to us. Science. We we are interested in science because to to us, science fiction is partly science so you got to have science uh but you know media is definitely involved they got a whole calendar here of a lot of different uh i mean they were talking hundreds of uh conventions that are coming up uh in the u.s so you know you guys can really find some we have a whole listing on the side of convention listings for arizona but right on the calendar is listings from all of the states so there's a lot of great information here. As we move forward, we're going to start coordinating our efforts on Blog Talk Radio, KWAD Radio, uh, as well as the newspaper and the website. So look to see some new things happening as we grow and extend our reach out to touch as many of the conventions as we can get to around the, the country and bring you convention news, meeting news, event news as we grow and um, try to fill your wad. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, you know science news, uh, right on the web, or right on the the wad website, under science you'll find an article from Don here. Uh, the year in space, and they're talking about 2012. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, we've got some you know special announcements there on the side, but we also have an article um, from Michael Bradley on 3D printing. One of the newest technologies that portends some really awesome results soon. He talks in the article about some of the things that uh, 3D printing has been able to develop so far. Yeah, and we've got somebody who's writing an article based on this person actually works with 3D printers, so we'll have a layman's point of view uh, coming up. So it's really uh, uh, expanded. Uh, we'll be, you know, getting into uh, you know a lot of different conventions. Uh, we, we welcome any convention to definitely get a hold of us. How do you get a hold of us? Well, you can always email us. You can email the managing editor, me, at uh, editor at the WOD, that's W-O-D. Can't get any simpler than that, dot net. So, <laughs> editor at the WOD, dot net. But be sure to check us out because we, you know, we've got some great stuff on there. And, of course, it's just the beginning and we're going to be adding a lot more things. We add a little bit every week. So, you know, take a look at it. And um, what else do I have going up, coming up on on KWOD? You want to know? Wow, that's a good question. Tomorrow I've got an interview here. Uh, it would be 5.30 instead of 6. So 5.30 start time uh, with Haley Fisher. And she's got a young adult uh, fantasy no- novel set and... Some things that are already out there. Um, and but yeah, I thought the YA uh, fantasy novel is definitely a good thing to definitely a good thing to get involved in. Uh, so anyway, that'll be tomorrow. Haley Fisher and on the thirteenth, which is Wednesday next Wednesday, and we're going to do this in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, it's time will be Wednesday, March 13th. We're talking to T.M. Williams. She's got a brand new book, brand new series, and so she's a, uh, a young author and uh, one of the real young, but you know she's in her 20s. Uh, if she's in her 30s, I'd be amazed, but she looks like she's in her 20s to me. Um, anyway, we will be talking to her about her brand new series again, fantasy. So definitely come in, and that's going to be from 1 to 2 p.m. on Wednesday, March 13th. Uh, I know we don't usually do in the middle of the afternoon, but uh, that worked out better that day. And that will, she's got a book release party. Uh, that's one reason we're doing that on Wednesday. Uh, she's got a uh, Pars Persian cuisine in Scottsdale. That's obviously in Arizona. <laughs> she's an Arizona author. So with that, I'm going to say good night. You want to say anything else? I believe it now, he's got his mouth full. My mouth is full. <laughs> Miss Long, why get me shut oh, up? Oh, look at here. We got somebody actually come on here. <laughs> the prime directive. Interesting. Says prime directive. I'm embarrassing you. Says if you have something to say, you better say it now because he's got his mouth full. But we can always do something about that. Um, Welcome. Yeah, you can call in at seven one four two four two five one four five. Or if you have something to say or a question to ask, then definitely you know put. You know, on your chat where you're at, write what, it down. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? It says, what'd you come here looking for? We want, we want to know. 
So, um, anything else that we have going on? Well, the, oh, if you, if you have an article or if you've got something you want to write about, uh, book reviews or whatnot, I got a whole horde of books here. But if you have something you want to do an article on, especially in science or anything like that, then definitely get a hold of me at editor at thewad.net. Uh, then the next next uh, thing is going to be uh, this coming week. So if you have something between now and the end of the week, because I'm going to be in Tucson Festival of Books this weekend. So if you guys are in Tucson, come by Tucson Festival of Books. It's free of charge. Uh, great festival for two full days on the 9th and the 10th. Also speaking at the Wild Wild West Steampunk Convention. Yeehaw! I'm going to be out there at Old Tucson, and uh, that's 2 2 p.m. I'm going to be speaking in a panel on publishing. So if you're going to be at the Steampunk Convention, want to say hi. I heard you on KY. That'd be cool. Or if you're going to be at Tucson Festival Books, we're going to be at the Leprechaun Incorporated booth, and that's number 293. That's Leprechaun Incorporated booth 293. We have authors. I'm going to be there pretty much all weekend. Lucky me. So come over and, and let's entertain each other because I got to be bored otherwise. <laughs> so Tucson Festival Books, come on out. And so the next time you need to get, get your articles in or come and talk to me at the festival about your, your ideas, uh, that weekend will be the deadline because it's got to go to print early next week in order for us to do a release on the 14th. So definitely get with me right away because it's filling up. Okay. So with that, since I don't know... Yeah, you dropped off. Anyway, with that, KWOD Radio is signing off for the, for the day. And this is Patty Holstrand. Thanks for listening. Thank you.